Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 20. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only you had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down, from, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to, be, to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You know, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses, then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Second reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 21. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up to the mountainside and sat down with with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. 
Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and sat across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were waiting to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were, where they were heading. Hi, everyone. I was going to start off by saying it's great to have Stephen here the last few weeks, but after that slanderous uh, kid spot, I'm not as inclined. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can come together today. And whatever our understanding is of you, help us today to see that Jesus is clearly wanting us to know that he is real bread, real food for us. Amen. Now, let me start off by asking you, what is your staple diet? Put up your hand, tell me what's the thing that you always eat, and tell me. Toast. Toast. Nuts. Nuts. What? Potato. Potato. Veggies. Veggies. Fruit. Fruit. Beef. Beef. (laughs) We could go on and on, and what we discover is... We actually don't have a common staple diet in Australia. This week I had uh, Thai with some of you, that was great. I had uh, homemade pizza, had nachos, last night had Indian. I had all sorts of staple diets and not not very familiar. Food has changed in a massive way in not that long a time. And it's changed in a massive way in Australia because as wonderfully all the, all the cultures of the world have come to Australia, they've brought their food and we, we have embraced and eat all different types of staple food. But that's actually not the way it's been for most of the time. And actually in, in, in two-thirds of the world, it's still kind of that way where there's a staple food that you eat, whether it's some parts of the world, it's rice, whether it's bread or fish... One thing that's kind of the staple that you always eat to give you your sustenance. Food has had a massive change. We don't even think about it these days because we can go to Coles and we can buy (laughs) how many different types of bread. Our food comes in plastic packaging, not directly from the farm. We like a little thing called junk food. 
The very notion of that word junk food would freak some people out because saying, well, it's rubbish, you don't need it, it's not going to give you life and sustenance and and that's not making a, a moral comment on the fact that we enjoy those foods, but it's to see how different things have gone. What we need to do, I think, as we get our heads around what Jesus has done in this uh, amazing uh, miracle, uh, if we're truly going to understand what's going on, we do need to understand that actually bread and fish was the staple. Bread equals life. Bread was what you had so you could survive. And there's been work that's been done about these times and things, and that when people worked, about 70% of their work was for that bread. This is completely foreign to us, isn't it? As we think about what's going on in this passage today. You see, this meant... When Jesus did this amazing thing in uh, the beginning of chapter 6, the people who saw it and were blown away thought, what if he could do that again? If he could do that again, that changes everything. Why we have to work completely is revolutionised. We actually could be really, really rich because 70% of our wages isn't going to the thing that we can just get... Jesus will give it to us. They could have more power. Forget the constant worry of starving and not having food, which still today so many people in our world face. See, in this background, maybe they can start to think, well, Rome, you better watch out. Maybe this guy is this Messiah we've been waiting for. The Jews have been waiting for a Messiah to come who's going to be their king. Maybe he is going to be this king. I think this helps us kind of get a picture of what's going on as we look at this passage today. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at uh, the significance of what Jesus did by looking at the dialogue that happens after uh, the passage that we had read by Eddie. Jesus goes on and explains a whole bunch of stuff uh, when he talks to the crowd and when he talks to the, Jew, the Jews who are grumbling, the Jewish leaders, and then to his disciples. And, and as we go through today, there's so much richness. I hope in your community groups you've just seen the depth and richness of, uh, of these words. What I want us to do today is to see three lessons that come out of it. Not comprehensive of all the lessons in this passage, but I think these three lessons build upon each other. And actually help us see why Jesus feeding the 5,000 is a sign pointing us towards something greater. And I want us to look at these three things. On your your outline blank, you'll see there'll be three things on the screen that you can put there to frame your talk, uh, uh, your notes, if you like taking notes. And as we think this through today, if you're wondering about why you should engage with God and why Jesus is someone who should impact upon your life... What I'd love you to do today is to think about Jesus is saying he has everything that you need. And for all of us, it's for us to constantly come back to thinking about, do I actually live that out and express that? If that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. And so what I want us to do, I want us to start off with the bleeding obvious. I want us to start off with uh, what we saw in the kids' spot today. 
The first point we see is I am not giving you food, I am the food. That's the first lesson. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. We're starting off with that idea that Jesus is the bread of life, the clear point that we can see that the feeding of the 5,000 takes us to. And then as we do that, we'll see why he says that. And then he gets outrageous at the end, and we'll see that later. You see, the crowd, after this had happened the next day, are looking for Jesus. They're looking for him. They can't find him. We see in verse 23, they got into their, uh, uh, their boats from Tiberias and landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When they realized Jesus, Jesus wasn't there, in verse uh, 24, they got into, into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. And when they find Jesus, Jesus says in verse 27, well, let's start at verse 26. Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. The Son of Man will give you food. Jesus describing himself as the Son of Man, alluding back to that servant who sacrifices himself in Isaiah. This Son of Man, Jesus, will give you food. And then as we go down to verse 35, as they, they, they discover that they, well, they like this idea of having always having this bread. He says in uh, verse 35, I am the bread of life. And what that means, he goes on to say in verse 35, whoever, whoever, any one of you who comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes an important word in this passage and in John, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is saying he has something to offer that is very significant. The context of bread, which is associated with life and continuing on, he's saying he can provide something. And he uses the word never to say you won't be without again. Verse 35, whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 36, but as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. They've seen the sign, but they haven't got it yet. And so he goes on to say in verses uh, 47 and following, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. You see, Jesus is saying over and over again, I am not just the provider of what you need. I am the bread. Let me give you a bleedingly obvious illustration. Put your hand up if you like a Mars bar. Who am I going to pick? I'm not giving you the Mars bar if you give me these ones, Brian. <laughs> Put your hand up again. All right, Joel, I saw your hand first. You can give it to Rosie if you want, but that's your call. There you go. All right, I've given Joel the Mars bar. 
I am not the Mars bar, okay? That is the Mars bar. Jesus is saying he is the Mars bar. He's saying he is the food. He's the thing that will give you sustenance. Not that the Mars bar gives you very much. But he gives you sustenance. He's not just the one who lets you know about it. We read about Moses. Moses is kind of the provider. It was actually God that was the provider and Moses was his instrument. Jesus far supersedes that because he is the one who actually gives you the provision. All of your sustenance and life. That's the first lesson that we need to be clear. And it's eternal. You see that in verse 50. Here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. And not die. This bread does not need to be replenished. When you have Jesus, you have eternal life. You see, the feeding of the 5,000 was a time in which Jesus just gave them a physical need right then and there. But as he said, they didn't see the sign because they thought that was great. Let's see if we can have that more and more. When Jesus is saying, I can give you me and you have it forever. I am the food you need. Why does he go into depth about these things? I've alluded to it, but let's actually go back and see the crowd. You see, the second point is that we need to stop wanting the lesser thing. And this is what Jesus is telling the crowd, first of all, and then get stuck into the, into the Jewish uh, leaders when they grumble. Stop wanting the lesser thing. That is, stop selling yourself short. You see, they saw Jesus and they're thinking, what if, what if it's replicable? What if this could happen over and over? And Jesus knew this. We've already read it. I mean, in, uh, we see it in verse 26 and 27. Do not work for food that spoils, but, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And they did this because, well, Jesus said this because they were thinking about their stomachs. And Jesus wanted them to know that your stomachs is not what you should be worrying about. So Jesus wants them to know that your issue is not that you need continual food so you can live now. He wants you to know that you need to come to God. That your work for the food that gives you life now is not as important as the real work which you get life when you believe in God. Verse 28, they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Okay, Jesus, I see, yep. So we got the food. That shouldn't be our focus, though. We should believe in you. And you've said there's life forever. That's great. That's not what they did. They said, verse 30, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Hello? What happened yesterday? (laughs) 5,000 of you got fed. What sign will you give? And Jesus, we want to help you out a little bit. We want you to know the kind of sign we're talking about. So let us remind you of that great incident with Moses, who was awesome. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
we'd love you to keep on doing this. Wouldn't that be great? And Jesus saying, you don't get it. That's why he keeps on telling him he's the bread of life. Because they don't get it. Moses and the whole manna thing is lesser. If you're focusing on that, that's not what the emphasis should be. You see, what they need to do is turn their eyes to the bigger picture. Stop worrying about the now and worry about the forever. See, it's a little bit like um, if you're going to buy two cars. I'm doing a seminar at Equip, and titles got in at Fast Cars, and I know nothing about cars, but that's all right. We'll get there about that. But here, imagine, who likes cars? Who likes fast cars? All right. Okay, imagine you go to a car dealer. Right? You go to a car dealer, and you have the option of two cars. There they are. You like fast cars. Which one are you going to pick? Anyone for the rusty car that probably doesn't go anywhere? No. That's the lesser. Jesus is saying, you've parked yourself at the sign. You're going for the lesser thing. The thing that just gives you a moment of life. And actually, you need to actually see what the bigger picture is. I have come not so that we can take down the Romans. I have come not so that you can change the way you live and don't have to work for food all the time. I have come so you can have life with me forever. We had one of our best holidays ever, I reckon, in, um, in January when we went um, uh, to the Sunshine Coast. But imagine if we went on that holiday destination... We got out of the airport and the first sign that said the Sunshine Coast, we parked the car and put our tents there and had a holiday there. We stopped at the sign. What gooses we would be. The Jewish leaders aren't even worrying about the the lesser. They're just grumbling. They don't even want him to provide that lesser. Verse 41. At this, the the Jews... uh, there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They don't like the idea of Jesus associating himself with the Father at all. And so as Jesus, as Jesus knows their attitude, knows how they see him, he comes back to saying he's the bread of life. Verse 47 again, I tell you that the one who will believe has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying to them, forget the history of Moses and the manna. Well, don't forget it. See it as a shadow of how much better I am. I actually provide, I fulfill that and provide something better. He's saying to them, you see me and you trust and depend and rely upon me and who I am and you have life. And you guys are grumbling. You're so far away from understanding what that sign was about. And the final lesson we're going to look at today, I I suspect, is the most outrageous. Jesus says he is the bread of life, but he gets more outrageous when he talks about eating it. Verse 51. Let's read 51 to 56 as a chunk first. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. 
Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. It's a pretty controversial, pretty outrageous thing to say by Jesus. What's going on here? What is he saying? Well, in some uh, Christian traditions, the Catholic and Orthodox, the idea uh, that John's picking up here is that Jesus is saying that you actually need to actually eat his flesh. And when you have communion, which we're going to do uh, later, later today, is in some way that actually does become Jesus' real flesh. I, um, I'm actually very thankful to God for my Catholic background because I was brought up believing all the historical things about Jesus. I say the Apostles' Creed, and I, I grew that growing up. I believed that growing up as I was taught it. But the problem I had was that the understanding of what Jesus has done for us, how he saves us, is where things get a little bit skew-whiff. And thinking that Jesus is saying here, you have to eat him in some kind of mystical way at communion... I don't think the passage can possibly be sane. One, because of the way Jesus uses metaphors in the, in the passage. But even more than that, the tradition hasn't started yet. The Lord's Supper in which we celebrate in and Christians have been doing for generations, that happens at the last Passover meal. Something that John doesn't then bring up. But even more personally for me, was I had a, a good uh, friend, a Catholic priest, who uh, we grew up with, and I used to talk to him about theological things all the time when, when I got committed to following Jesus. And I one time brought up this passage with him, and it was really helpful, because he was really honest, and we had this great discussion. And I said to him, I don't understand how this passage could mean that, because if this bread um, is, is Jesus' flesh, it says, if you don't eat it, you can't be saved. That's what it says. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life. And so I said, that means, therefore, every Christian in the world who believes that Jesus died for them and rose from the dead, and they trust in that, if they haven't had communion this way, you're saying they're not saved? And that can't be right. Because Jesus' point is, you need to trust in my death and resurrection. We had a good discussion about that and, and had to disagree. You see, what I think is going on here is something far more simpler and something that's far more helpful if we understand how they thought about food back then as well. Look at verse 51 again. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I think Jesus is using beautiful words here in a, just a beautifully crafted way. I am the living bread. Bread is not living, and yet he's the living bread. Think about a roast dinner. What's in a roast dinner? Give it to me. What's in a roast? 
Meat. What else? What else? Gravy. Gravy. <laughs> all the juices of the fat of the animal. Yeah, beautiful. All sorts of, all sorts. You have bread with it. You've got wheat. But all of those things are dead. The cow is dead. The potatoes are dead. The wheat is dead. The things that give you light are dead. There is no life. We don't eat the living. Jesus says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus is saying, I am going to give my life for the world. I'm going to die for the world. I'm going to sacrifice myself. It's interesting, in verse 53, he does bring up again, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, the suffering servant who dies. You have no life in you. Jesus is saying, in a very real way, life comes through his death for you. He's saying, either I die or you die. Either you eat my flesh, you come to me and see I've had to die for you, or you're on your own. He's saying you need to completely give your life to me. The beautiful imagery that continues on there, my flesh is real food. My blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. As Paul in his letters writes, um, being in Christ. This is John's way of saying the personal, intimate relationship you have with Jesus, who is saying he's given up everything for you. He has died for you. We're getting close to Easter. We're getting close to the Gospel in John finishes with, It is finished. And that is where Jesus, the living life, dies. So we can have life. So it is finished. But the beautiful thing about verse 51 is that he is the living bread because he conquers death. And he, he, he is risen into glory. He's with the Father and we have life with him forever. This is what Jesus is saying in this sign. The feeding of the 5,000, of being the bread of life, is Jesus saying... I want you to see how you need to believe in me. And it's far bigger than what's going on now in your world. I want you to see how sufficient I am, how I'm all the sustenance that you need. What we need to see today is that Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you food, I am your food. That therefore means, don't want the lesser thing. And if you want my food, you need to acknowledge that I die for you. Either I die or you die. How do we finish? How do we finish in this extraordinary passage that we've only touched the surface on. There's a whole bunch of great stuff about how Jesus is saying, you need the Father to bring you to me. That you need to truly understand what belief is, is about in depth. You need to see 
you need to see how others have fallen away. And as uh, Stephen read at the beginning today, others, we see right here, say Jesus has the words of eternal life. What do we take away? Well, I think we need to believe in the bread of life. And that belief is not simply, that belief is not simply to go, well, I know it's true. Because when, when, the, when the crowd saw the sign, they believed Jesus did it. They believed he did it so much so that they wanted him to do it again. Whatever you believe about Jesus, if it's true, is great. But unless you come to truly accept that you need to give your life to him, that he needs to be your sustenance, that you can't earn any favour with him because he gives you it all, it's not real belief. Maybe today you need to come to Jesus instead of walk away from him for the first time. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are hungry and thirsty. And yet, after all this hard teaching, some of those that were disciples in that they were following him and liking what he was doing, walked away. Where are you today? How do you feel about the idea that Jesus is actually all you need? If you'd like to think that through a bit more, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love you to uh, wrestle with Jesus more. I feel like one of the communication cards and let us know that there and come and chat to me after or Stephen or a friend that you're here with today. But I think there's more to take away. We need to stop stressing and obsessing about the lesser. If Jesus is our sustenance, if he is the bread of life and he transforms daily how you think about the now, well then... Why do we let the now shape completely who we are? Why do we let the now stress us out completely that we can't function properly? Why do we let the now be the thing that we cannot stop thinking about over and over and over when Jesus is saying, look at me. Stop stressing and obsessing about the lesser. And instead, replace stressing with feeding. Not with junk food, but with real food. Jesus. How do you feel yourself? How do you feel yourself with what Jesus has done for you? Do you constantly bring yourself back that He is your complete sustenance? When you have your struggles, do you deal with them reminding yourself, I have everything I need? Or in those struggles, you kind of get annoyed at that idea because of the frustrations you're going at now. When you pray for daily bread, as the, Lord, uh, the Lord's Prayer says, is that the only part of the prayer you pray? Because that's just worrying about the lesser thing. Your kingdom come... And so we ask God to provide for us now, but regardless, we want his kingdom to come. Do you long for heaven? Actually, you say you do, and you do kind of, and you do follow Jesus, 
But if you weigh it up and you look at all your material thinking, the scales go like that. Do you invest in his people as you together get your fill of Jesus and what he's done for you? That's why I actually having a communion, which we do around every four weeks, is a really helpful thing. Because it's a physical thing that we do together as one people to remind us that we need Jesus. It doesn't have power in of itself. It's a physical expression of the word of God that reminds us we need to turn back to him. That we need him completely and utterly. Just as bread gives us life, real life, we need to ingest Jesus. How do you see the bread of life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us real bread in your Son. Thank you that he's gone to the cross and died for us. Living bread that has died so that we can feed on him. We thank you that he is not dead, that he lives, he's conquered death, and that he gives us life. Father, help us day by day to remember what the bigger thing is. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.